This evening's reading is taken from um, the book of Judges, chapter 8, verse 33. No sooner had Gideon died than the Israelites again prostituted themselves to the Baals. They set up Baal Bereth as their god and did not remember the Lord their god, who had rescued them from the hands of all their enemies on every side. They also failed to show any loyalty to the father, to the family of Jeroboam, that is, Gideon, in spite of all the good things he had done for them. Abimelech, son of Jeroboam, went to his mother's brothers in Shechem and said to them and to all his mother's clan, Ask all the citizens of Shechem, which is better for you, to have all seventy of Jeroboam's sons rule over you, or just one man? Remember, I am your flesh and blood. When the brothers repeated all this to the citizens of Shechem, they were inclined to follow Abimelech, for they said, He is related to us. They gave him seventy shekels of silver from the temple of Baalbereth, and Abimelech used it to hire reckless scoundrels who became his followers. He went to his father's home in Ophrah, and on one stone murdered his seventy brothers, the sons of Jeroboam. But Jotham, the youngest son of Jeroboam, escaped by hiding. Then all the citizens of Shechem and Beth Milo gathered beside the great tree at the pillar in Shechem to crown Abimelech king. When Jotham was told about this, he climbed up on the top of of Mount Gerizim and shouted to them, Listen to me, citizens of Shechem, so that God may listen to you. One day the trees went out to anoint a king for themselves. They said to the olive tree, Be our king. But the olive tree answered, Should I give up my oil, by which both gods and humans are honored, to hold sway over the trees? Next, the tree said to the fig tree, Come and be our king. But the fig tree replied, Should I give up my fruit, so good and sweet, to hold sway over the trees? Then the trees said to the vine, Come and be our king. But the vine answered, Shall I give up my wine, which cheers both gods and humans, to hold sway over the trees? Finally, all the trees said to, thornbush, said to the thornbush, Come and be our king. The thornbush said to the trees, If you really want to anoint me king over you, come and take refuge in my shade. But if not, then let fire come out of the thornbush and consume the cedars of Lebanon. Have you acted honorably and in good faith by making Abimelech king? Have you been fair to Jeroboam and his family? Have you treated him as he deserves? Remember that my father fought for you and risked his life to rescue you from the hand of Midian. But today you have revolted against my father's family. You have murdered his 70 sons on a single stone and have made Abimelech, the son of his female slave, king over the citizens of Shechem, because he is related to you. So have you acted honorably and in good faith towards Jeroboam and his family today? If you have, may Abimelech be your joy and may you be his too. But if you have not, let fire come out of the Abimelech and consume you, the citizens of Shechem and Beth Milo, and let fire come out from you, the citizens of Shechem and Beth Milo, and consume Abimelech. Then Jotham fled, escaping to Beer, and, as, and he lived there because he was afraid of his brother Abimelech. After Abimelech had governed Israel for three years, God stirred up animosity between Abimelech and the citizens of Shechem, so that they acted treacherously against Abimelech. God did this in order that the crime against Jeroboam's 70 sons, the shedding of their blood, 
might be avenged on their brother Abimelech and on the citizens of Shechem, who had helped him murder his brothers. In opposition to him, these citizens of Shechem set men on the hilltops to ambush and rob everyone who passed by, and this was reported to Abimelech. Now Gaal, son of Ebed, moved with his clan into Shechem, and its citizens put their confidence in him. After they had gone out into the fields and gathered the grapes and trodden them, they held a festival in the temple of their god. While they were eating and drinking, they cursed Abimelech. Then Gaal, son of Ebed, said, Who is Abimelech, and why should we Shechemites be subject to him? Isn't he Jeroboam's son, and isn't Zebel his deputy? Serve the family of Hamor, Shechem's father. Why should we serve Abimelech? If only his people were under my command, then I would get rid of him. I would say to Abimelech, call out your whole army. When Zebel, the governor of the city, heard what Gaal, son of Ebed, said, he was very angry. Undercover, he sent messengers to Abimelech, saying, Gaal, son of Ebed, and his clan have come to Shechem and are stirring up the city against you. Now then, during the night, you and your men should come and lie in wait in the fields. In the morning, at sunrise, advanced against the city. When Gaal and his men come out against you, seize the opportunity to attack them. So Abimelech and all his troops set out by night and took up concealed positions near Shechem in four companies. Now Gaal, son of Ebed, had gone out and was standing at the entrance of the city gate, just as Abimelech and his troops came out from their hiding place. When Gaal saw them, he said to Zebel, Look, people are coming down from the tops of the mountains. Zebel replied, You mistake the shadows of the mountains for men. But Gaal spoke up again, Look, people are coming down from the central hill, and the company is coming from the direction of the diviner's tree. Then Zebel said to him, Where is your big talk now? You who said, Who is Abimelech, that we should be subject to him? Aren't these the men you ridiculed? Go out and fight them. So Gaal led out the citizens of Shechem and fought Abimelech. Abimelech chased him all the way to the entrance of the gate, and many were killed as they fled. Then Abimelech stayed in Aruma, and Zebel drove Gaal and his clan out of Shechem. The next day, the people of Shechem went out to the fields, and this was reported to Abimelech. So he took his men, divided them into three companies, and set an ambush into the fields. When he saw the people coming out of the city, he rose to attack them. Abimelech and the companies with him rushed forward to a position at the entrance of the city gate. Then two companies attacked those in the fields and struck them down. All that day, Abimelech pressed his attack against the city until he had captured it and killed its people. Then he destroyed the city and scattered salt over it. On hearing this, the citizens in the tower of Shechem went into the stronghold of the temple of el When Abimelech heard that, heard that they had assembled there, he and all his men went up Mount Zalman. He took an axe and cut off some branches which he lifted to his shoulders. He ordered the men with him, Quick, do what you have seen me do. So all the men cut branches and followed Abimelech. They piled them against the stronghold and set it on fire with the people still inside. So all the people in the tower of Shechem, about a thousand men and women, also died. Next, Abimelech went to Thebes and besieged it and captured it. 
Inside the city, however, was a strong tower to which all the men and women, all the people of the city, had fled. They had locked themselves in and climbed up on the tower roof. Abimelech went to the tower and attacked it. But as he approached the entrance to the tower to set it on fire, a woman dropped an upper millstone on his head and cracked his skull. Hurriedly, he called to his armor-bearer, "'Draw your sword and kill me so that they can't stay. "'A woman, so that they can't say, a woman killed him.' "'So his servant ran him through, and he died. "'When the Israelites saw that Abimelech was dead, they went home. "'Thus God repaid the wickedness that Abimelech had done to his father "'by murdering his seventy brothers. "'God also made the people of Shechem pay for all their wickedness.' The curse of Jotham, son of Jeroboam, came on them. This is God's word. Good evening. My name's Nick. I'm the outreach minister here at CCM. I think we need God's help this evening with that passage. Let's pray. Father, this is a a grim and gritty passage. Um, But you are God, and we are your creatures we, we trust you to meet with us now in your words. Please, please speak to us. Please warn us. Please help us to see and to hear what you would have us hear. Help, Lord, we pray. Amen. Um, I'd love to start by telling you about a conversation I once had uh, with a, a slightly older lady named Fiona. Now, Fiona was uh, the wife of a minister uh, for, for decades, she and her husband had been working for a, a big student church in the center of a city, quite like our one. Um, for decades, they'd been working for this church, and the whole time they'd been living in the vicarage that was right by the church. Their whole life revolved around this place. They um, had been loving the people in the area, serving the church. They'd raised three kids who'd all flown the nest, all in this, in this area, And it had been a very kind of happy life for them. But about two weeks before I spoke to Fiona, her husband had died. And in the midst of all that unbelievable loss and grief, she was told she had five weeks to be out of the house. And I remember um, thinking, but just being worried about her, that on, on top of this immense loss, losing the house in which she built this life, it would just be utterly crushing. And so when I chatted to her, I asked her, like, how are you feeling about, um, about losing the house? And what she said has stayed with me ever since. She said, I feel immensely grateful. I said, what? And she said, this house has been a blessing to me from God. And now he wants to use this house to bless another family. And I'm just so grateful for what he gave me. There's no resentment, no bitterness, just gratitude. And the thing thing that amazed me about it is how, how gratitude strengthened her to face this horrible situation. You see, there is something immensely powerful about Gratitude. There's something about gratitude that makes us stronger, that fortifies us. And the secular world is kind of catching up with this. There are all sorts of experiments at the moment going on, looking into the link between gratitude um, and resilience. I read about one, one study this week, it was quite interesting, um, that showed how people who were practicing 
gratitude regularly, writing down a few sentences about things they were grateful for. They were, as you'd expect, they were more optimistic, uh, they were more positive, they were less anxious. But the thing that surprised everyone was they were also less likely to need the doctor. There was something about gratitude that affects people physically. Gratitude, it seems that in how God has set up the world, gratitude makes us stronger. And it's particularly true as Fiona experienced for a Christian who's grateful for God's blessings, the blessings of God's salvation. Gratitude for God's blessings makes us stronger. But here's the thing. There's another side to that coin. And it should worry us. It's what our passage is about this evening. You see, if gratitude for God's blessing makes us stronger then forgetting God's blessing makes us more vulnerable. Like a a policeman who takes off their stab vest. Forgetting God's blessings makes us more vulnerable, more vulnerable to the, the pressures of our society around us, more vulnerable to the temptations in our own hearts. And that is exactly what we see happening here in our passage to God's people. Have a look down at verse 34 with me. If chapter 8, chapter 8, verse 34, says, God's people did not remember the Lord their God who had rescued them from the hands of all their enemies on every side. They also failed to show any loyalty to the family of Jeroboam. That's Gideon. Remember, he was their great deliverer that we saw last time. In spite of all the good things that he had done for them. Right? They, 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 they forget that God's their rescuer. They forget the benefits, the good things that their deliverer has done for them. And it leaves them immensely vulnerable. And the rest of our chapter is basically about, it's a big fat warning to us about what happens when God's people make that mistake. Basically what's going to happen, it's the points um, uh, on the sermon outline. They take refuge in a thorn bush, that is, they put their trust in the wrong thing, a leader called Abimelech, and they get burned. The leader and the people just destroy each other. But the, the, the thing that's at the root of it, at the heart of it, is what happens here in verse 34. Right? They forget the benefits of God's rescue. And the point for us is don't make that mistake. So those of us here this evening, if we take our eyes off the good things that Christ has done for us, you'll be immensely vulnerable. Gratitude for God's blessings is like a guardian. It makes us stronger. Forgetting God's blessings makes you fragile, weak, vulnerable. Now, before we dive in um, to this story, there's just one kind of key piece of information we need to know that will help us understand everything else that happens. And it's in chapter 8, verse 22, as if we hadn't done enough reading this evening. We'll do a little bit more. Um, In chapter 8, verse 22, God's people try to make Gideon their king. Have a look down. The Israelites said to Gideon, rule over us, you and your son and your grandson, because you have saved us from the hand of Midian. But Gideon told them, I will not rule over you, nor will my son rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. See what he's saying there? The Lord is to rule over them. Gideon's son is not to rule over them. 
Okay? God's to be their ruler, not Gideon's son. So check out what's happening in chapter 9, verse 1. Abimelech, son of Jeroboam, um, that's, that's Gideon's nickname. So Abimelech, son of Gideon, went to his mother's brothers in Shechem and said to them, and to all his mother's clan, ask the citizens of Shechem, Shechem, which is better for you, to have 70 of Jeroboam's sons rule over you or just one man? Remember, I am your flesh and blood. So God's to rule over them, not one of Gideon's sons. Here, one of Gideon's sons rocks up to a town called Shechem and tries to rule. Bad start. There's a sense in which he's, he's setting himself up against God here. And he, he appeals to them uh, and the people buy it. He says, I'm your brother. The people buy it. And so they fund him. They go to the temple. They get a bunch of money to back his campaign. But look at what he does with that money. Look at what they are funding. Halfway through verse 4. Abimelech used it to hire reckless scoundrels who became his followers. He went to his father's home in Oprah and on one stone murdered his 70 brothers, the sons of Jeroboam. You can imagine the scene, can't you? Sun shining, Abimelech rocks up to the family home. Maybe some of his brothers run out to greet him. But soon their smiles turn to screams as Abimelech and his men grab them and drag them to a stone and start to slaughter them. On one, do you notice that halfway through the verse? On one stone, 70 people. It seems to be some kind of like ritual sacrifice, but just, just think about that. 70 people on one stone. They must, have been, they must have been held in a queue. Like Abimelech must have, he must have been, he must have been exhausted. He must have taken breaks and then gone back to slaughtering his brothers. The average man has 5.5 liters of blood in his body. 70 people killed on one stone. The blood would have, been, would have been pouring through the house. It's monstrous. Abimelech wades through the blood of his brothers to rule over God's people. And you think at this point that as God's people hear about this, they think, mm, is this the guy is this the guy for us? Is this the guy we want to trust? And who have we got? We've got God on one side who frees us from all our enemies on every side and gives us peace every time we ask him. And we've got this guy. Who should we choose? Look at verse six. Then all the citizens of Shechem and Bethmila gathered beside the great tree at the pillar in Shechem and crown Abimelech king. They make him king. God is meant to rule them. But instead, this man who has murdered the family of God's deliverer, they make him king. If that is not spitting in God's face, I don't know what is. And how does he, how does he convince them? How does he convince them to commit this awful act of turning away from God? Well, it's in verse 2. Ask all the citizens of Shechem, and then look at the next five words. Which is better for you? He asks. Which is better for you? Guys, that is, a, that is a window into the heart, the very heart of temptation. That whisper that something is better for you than God's ways. You see, no one ever walked away from Jesus because they thought it would be worse for them. 
And what happens is over time, you forget all the benefits of God's rescue and you start to believe that something else is better for you. A relationship. A lifestyle. An ambition. There will be people here in this room this evening who are hearing the call of Abimelech dressed up as something else. Which is better for you? God, God's ways, or this? If you forget the benefits of God's rescue, you are so vulnerable to the call of Abimelech. Which is better for you? But in this passage, um, it wants us to, to see that call for what it really is. Um, and in, in verses 7 to 21, we get this, this fable. What happens is uh, one of the brothers escapes, called Jotham, and he legs it across the valley. Um, and he goes up the other side of the valley and shouts back over at them during the coronation service. It's always a bit embarrassing when someone interrupts a ceremony, isn't it? When a nutter shouts out. But here it's a good thing. He shouts out at them and he, he, he shouts this fable. And in the fable, uh, all the trees go out looking for a king. And they ask a fig tree, and they ask a vine, and they ask an olive tree to rule over them. And all those things say no, because they're too busy being productive. So then look at what they do in verse 14. Finally, all the trees said to the thorn bush, come and be our king. And the thorn bush said to the trees, this is fascinating, if you really want to anoint me king over you, come and take refuge in my shade. That's that's a striking image. Just think about that image for a moment, okay? A thorn bush saying to trees, come and take refuge in my shade. Can a thorn bush shade a tree? I mean, kind of. What's going to happen? It's going to climb all over it with its its thorny tendrils. But it, it can't shield it from the sun. The thorn bushes, it's promising a shade that it can't provide. And the reason this is such a big deal is that throughout the Old Testament, that shade, it's a metaphor for the rest and the peace that God gives his people. God is the one who provides shade. He rescued them from Egypt. He brings his people into the land flowing with milk and honey. He provides rest from their enemies on all sides. God's people, they're meant to find shade under the branches of God's tree. Here, they have, they have a thorn bush saying, come, come and take refuge in my shades. And the people, oh yeah, okay. It's promising them a shade that it can't provide. But it actually gets worse than that. Look at the second half of verse 15. Uh, come and take refuge in my shade, but if not, then let fire come out of the thorn bush and consume the cedars of Lebanon. Thorn bushes, that part of the world, very susceptible to fires, forest fires. If a thorn bush wraps around you, you're likely to get set on fire. But what's the point? He's saying, not only does this thorn bush not give you the shade it promises, it will consume you. It can't give you what it promises, and it will consume you. And Jotham here, he wants these people, he wants us to see through the call of Abimelech that voice that says, what's better for you? God's ways or this? 
Jotham is saying to us, you've got to see, that is a thorn bush offering you shade. It can't give you what it promises and it will consume you. Now, sometimes uh, that being consumed plays out in this life. You know, you know the kind of situation, the person who sacrifices everything for a career and the career ends up consuming their family life. Like sometimes it, the consequences play out in this life. But sometimes these consequences only play out when you meet, you die and you meet God face to face. And you have to give an account to him of why you turn from him to trust in a thorn bush. You face the fire of his righteous anger. Gotta see through the call of Abimelech. It's like a thorn bush offering you shade. It can't give you what it promises and it will consume you. If we forget the benefits of God's rescue, we are vulnerable. We are vulnerable to take shade in a thorn bush. Um, now, in the final section, basically what we see happen is this plays out. Abimelech and the people just consume each other. That's what's going to happen. Uh, I'm going to run quickly through the, the story and then kind of draw out what I think is the warning for us. Okay? So uh, in verse 22, uh, verse 23, uh, the, the honeymoon is over. Abimelech and the people, uh, God stir, stirs up animosity between them. They start to get cross with each other. But things really heat up in verse 26. Have a look down. Now Gaal, son of Ebed, moved with his clan into Shechem, and its citizens put their confidence in him. After they'd gone out into the fields and gathered the grapes and trodden them, they had a festival in the temple of their God. While they were eating and drinking, they cursed Abimelech. So there they are. Picture them in the temple of this other God. They're all getting wasted um, and having a massive party. And there's this new guy, Gaal, in the room. Now, things have gone sour with Abimelech, right? They're, 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 the life that he'd promised them, he's not providing. They're unsatisfied with him. And this new guy shows up, and he's a bit of a nobody. But what do all the people do in verse 26? They put all their confidence in him. It, 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 it reminds me a little bit of a, a midlife crisis. You know, when someone's been building their life around one hope, a career or family, and they suddenly realize it's not giving them the shade that they thought it promised. And so what do they do? They buy a motorbike. <laughs> Or maybe something worse, they have an affair. But they, 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 they take all that confidence and they put it in something else that's equally worthless, that's equally flawed. That's what God's people are doing here. They put all their confidence in this new guy, Gaal. Abimelech hears about it and he is furious. We're going to skip over to verse 39. So Gaal led out the citizens of Shechem and fought Abimelech. Abimelech chased him all the way to the entrance of the gate and many were killed as they fled. Then Abimelech stayed in Aruma, and Zebul drove Gal and his clan out of Shechem. Abimelech arrives and just slaughters. He crushes the insurrection. He kills everyone that's involved in the insurrection. You think, mm, okay, you know, fair enough, kind of. But then look at what he does in verse 42. 
The next day, the people of Shechem went out to the fields. They're just getting on with their daily lives. They're just going to work. And this is reported to Abimelech. So he took his men, divided them into three companies and set an ambush in the fields. When he saw the people coming out of the city, you can picture them, can't you, coming out with their farming tools. He rose to attack them, starts to slaughter the people as they're going about their daily lives. And then he he, he lays siege to the city, not happy with murdering people in the fields. He attacks the city. And notice in verse 46, where people run to. On hearing this, the citizens in the Tower of Shechem went into the stronghold of the temple of Elberis. So far in this, this, if we can zoom out to the book of Judges, God has saved his people again and again and again and again and again. Every time they're oppressed, they cry out to God, God saves them. Here they're oppressed, where do they go? Another God. And we see what happens. Verse 49, so all the men cut branches and followed Abimelech. They piled them against the stronghold and set it on fire with the people still inside. So all the people in the Tower of Shechem, about a thousand men and women, also died. Fire comes out from the thorn bush, literally Abimelech, and consumes the people. The, the, The man whose atrocity they had bankrolled now commits an atrocity against them. There's no shade for God's people in Abimelech, only flames. There's no shade for God's people in the temple of Elberis, only flames. Kind of looks at this point like um, Abimelech's unstoppable. Um, But look at what happens to him. The next day uh, in verse 50, he decides, it's not quite clear why, he decides to attack another city And all the people again run to a stronghold and he thinks he'll do the the fire trick again. So check out verse 52. Abimelech went to the tower and attacked it. But as he approached the entrance to the tower to set it on fire, a woman dropped an upper millstone on his head and cracked his skull. The man who murdered 70 brothers on a stone is ended by stone. It's a sense in which his evil is bounded on his own head. You might have noticed just how pathetic his death becomes. Look in verse 54. Hurriedly, he called to his armor bearer, draw your sword and kill me. So they can't say a woman killed him. So his servant ran him through and he died. It's, It's so pathetic. And it's also... What he wants here could not have failed more. Do you see what he's saying? Kill me quickly. I don't want anyone to know that I've been killed by a woman. And here we are, thousands of years later, on the other side of the world, talking about how he was killed by a woman. I don't want anyone to know. I don't want to know. Everyone knows. It's in the best-selling book of all time. But even in that, do you see, his lust for glory and for his reputation, even that, God takes it and just rebounds it on his own head, just repays that evil. The point is in verse 56, thus God repaid the wickedness that Abimelech had done to his, uh, 
to his father by murdering his 70 brothers. God also made the people of Shechem pay for all their wickedness. There are two warnings for us, I think, in this. The first is, do you see how God is still totally in control here? See, you can can reject God, but you can't remove him. You can reject God, but you can't remove him. If you're here this evening and you know that in your life you're resisting God, you're opposing God, that is a fight you can't win. Even if you reject him in this life, it doesn't change the fact that he's totally in control. He will repay that evil. The second warning uh, to us, and perhaps this warning for those of us here this evening that would call ourselves Christians, do you notice here, God doesn't save his people. It's the first time in the book of Judges. They don't cry out to him and he doesn't save them. You see, they, as they heed the call of Abimelech and spit in God's face, he's not obliged to rescue them. He, he allows their evil to consume them. And that is scary. If we're here this evening and we're heeding the call of Abimelech, if you're flirting with sin, God is not obliged to save you. He might let you follow that to your own destruction. That is scary. So don't let it happen, okay? Heed the warning. Resolve tonight to see through the call of Abimelech, okay? So to, to, to resolve tonight to see that it is a thorn bush offering you shade. It can't give you what it promises and it will consume you. Resolve tonight to see through it. Now, um... I'm aware that all this has been relentlessly negative um, because the whole chapter is about what happens when you forget the benefits of God's rescue. So it's meant to be a big fat warning to us. But just as we finish, what I'd like to do is I'd like to just turn that coin back over for a second. You see, if this is all about what happens when you forget the benefits of God's rescue, then we protect ourselves from this by remembering the benefits of God's rescue. It makes sense, doesn't it? If you, are, if you are enjoying the shade of God's grace, then a thorn bush is a bit less appealing, isn't it? Gratitude for the blessings of God, is, is, it, it, it's, it's a guardian against the call of Abimelech. So remember the benefits of God's rescue. Remember this week that we, we have a king who didn't pour out his brother's blood to rule over them, but poured out his own blood to save his brothers. We have a king who offers real shade, who says to you and me, come to me, all you who are weary, and you will find rest for your souls. We have a king who really does offer shade. Just for a moment, let's, let's, let's just pause and think about his benefits. 
washes away all of your guilt and shame. It's a love in our hearts that's better than life itself. He enables to call and relate to God as a father. He gives us an eternal future beyond our wildest dreams. Guaranteed. He gives us a family to help us stumble through this life. Remember his benefits. Think about his benefits as you walk along the street, as you go to bed, as you commute to work. Think about his benefits. That is what is going to protect you this week from the call of Abimelech. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are so quick to forget all the things, that all the good things that you, our Redeemer, do for us. And when we do, Lord, we are vulnerable. Thank you for showing us that this evening. Please help us resolve to see through those things that call to us. Please help us to see thorn bushes for what they are. Please help, please help us by your Spirit to remember your benefits this week, to enjoy all the good things that you've done for us. Would that protect us? Would that be our shield? We pray. Amen.